I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi, right, folks. Have a good day today. Let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks Wells. Now, before we, we begin, I must know that I am not a doctor psychiatrist. If you're starting to die and with autism, please see a physician, at least be based on my experiences. I also do not own the rights to these music. Both music are found on YouTube and were published on June 2017 and December 2019. I also have some shout-outs to give. So the first shout I must give is to Tyson Robinson. Tyson runs the podcast called Tyson Vibe Podcast. Check this out. I was on his show a while back ago, and he's a really great person and a great podcaster. He really gives entrepreneurs a chance to show the world their ideas on his show. Another one would be Austin Riley. Austin is an upcoming guest like Armani Williams. He is a racer in the motorsports world has autism like Armani and me he is breaking down those barriers autism or not people can achieve their dreams the next one would be Janet and Jen Janet and Jen were so great that I had so much fun being on their podcast their podcast is called on boys and they talk directly to the parents they have teenage boys in the house they really let me be myself and to, for the fun I got to even read some of my uh, creative writing and then the next one would be Keith Snyder Keith hosts the podcast anxiety about anxiety the cool thing is I have never formally met Keith but I consider him my friend. He asked me to be on this podcast. I sent him on a 15-minute interview, and he loved it. This is the amazing part of his journey. I have sure met some amazing people. Another one is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm going to give Laura a shout-out. She runs a murder mystery podcast called The Ivy League Murders, along with co-host Sarah Alcorn. Although I've never met her face-to-face, she might be my number one fan. I so appreciate her friendship and support. The final one I'm going to give is to Shadley Cox. I also wanted to thank Shadley. He lives in Linton, Indiana. It was a Shad Signs. He's in the process of making car decals for my business. Give him a call for all your signs needed. Oh boy, we are excited for this interview today because I know I am. I have a very special guest named Miss Mandy Harvey. Miss Harvey placed fourth on season 12 of America's Got Talent and even scored Simon Cowell's golden buzzer. Miss Harvey lost her hearing due to a connective tissue disorder, but she, she has not let this get her down with eight visual turns that help her find the correct pitch when singing Miss Harvey as a performer is going strong. Like me, I feel like Miss Harvey is not letting this get her down. I think her situation, like mine, shows people that quitting is not an answer. She is showing that even though she lost her hearing with help of resources and anything she is able to use, she can still do what she loves, which is sing. Welcome to Autism Rocks and Rolls, Miss Harvey. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for letting me be on your podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Of course, anytime. Oh, if you guys want to go to Miss Mandy Harvey's website, mandyharveymusic.com, to see more information about her. All right, so we got that through. So now my first question to you is, what does being deaf mean to you? I think that being deaf for me is just part of who I am. I don't really have a negative or positive to it. It's it's me. So it, you're just a part. It's just a part of you. Yeah, I mean, it can be seen as a disability or a difference, but. It's also seen as something that makes you unique just because I can't hear and I don't experience the world uh, around me the same way as somebody else doesn't mean that it's not perfectly normal to me. So it's just part of who I am. Yep, I hear you. Autism is part of me for sure. Autism is part of a lot of people. So what were your initial thoughts when you learned that you were deaf? I initially was terrified and angry and frustrated. It happened over a period of time. So when I was first born, I was hard of hearing. And then when I lost the bulk of my hearing, I was 18, 19 years old. And so over nine months, I lost my hearing. So the whole journey of losing my hearing, it felt like I was kind of watching myself um, you know, like watching a movie. Um, and I, it didn't feel real. It felt like I was just like watching a movie and I was hopefully just gonna finish it and wake up. Um, you were watching a horror movie. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like my, my dreams just kind of got ripped from my hands because I had not experienced a world that said that I could be a musician and be deaf at the same time. I felt like it was a a death sentence to my career. Death or death? I'm not, not trying to make fun of you or anything. Did you say yeah. death or death? So a death of my career. Oh, a death, okay. Yeah, but death uh, with an F is okay. is the the affliction, I guess. Yeah, I, I misunderstood that. No, they get interchanged a lot, actually. People think that I'm saying death, um, like to die all the time. Oh yeah, she's death. You know, so that I just picture myself with like, the scythe and then the the whole hooded cloak and everything is like yeah that's what i do on my weekends you know 
Um, no, I, I don't kill people for a living. I, I know. I mean, I, I don't understand how I can be death. You know, I feel like that's a pretty important job, though. And that's for someone else. Yeah, that's way, way above my pay grade. So now how do you think deaf brains operate? I think that deaf brains operate very much this like the same as any other brain, except it's over sensitive to certain aspects that I think a lot of people ignore. So for me, I am hypersensitive to vibrations and hypersensitive to all of the things that are sensory outside of my ears. So I pay attention to visual cues. I pay attention to people. I pay attention to the world around me in a way that a lot of people don't because they don't have to. And I almost feel truly bad for people who don't get to experience the world the way that I do because I think that it's just beautiful. It's all unicorns and all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Just rainbows. But I can actually, I can relate to that. And this is actually a true story. The other day, I don't remember what day it was. I think it was a Sunday. I was having like really bad sensory problems though because autism, that comes with it as well. Mm. Oh, it was, it was bad. I was actually in bed for a little bit. So I, I can definitely relate to you. Yeah. But you, you get used to it. It's your world. Yeah. You live in it all the time. And you know, the outside world, they kind of try to say that your world's not good enough or it can't be as enjoyable because it's not the way that they experience it. But I truly believe that we pay attention to a lot more. I can agree with that. I can actually agree with that statement. It's just that there's so much noises in our universe that it's yeah, sometimes it's overwhelming. overwhelming. That's what I feel like sometimes. What would you say be like the most rewarding thing about being deaf and the most difficult thing about being deaf? I think the most rewarding thing about losing my hearing for me as a musician um, is I lost the ability to judge myself. I can't listen to myself sing and critique myself to a point where I don't want to sing anymore. I can't compare myself to anybody else. And I'm not influenced. I don't sound like anybody else. I can truly be myself without me picking myself apart. Um, I would think that more of the difficulty side of things is that there are a lot of structures that are set up for the world that we live in that are geared towards people who can hear or who live a very specific life. And when you don't, you find yourself kind of hitting walls a lot and having to painstakingly break them down is a bit exhausting, but wholeheartedly worth it. Exactly. Sometimes you have to drop down and rebuild yourself. Yeah. Well, and rebuild the world, actually. You know, I've been having a lot of conversations with people trying to give them communication access for their schoolwork. You know, like these are barriers that if you're a fully hearing person, you don't necessarily even think about. But when you live in the world that I live in, it's almost obvious it's painfully obvious and i it's shocking to me that it's not fixed already you're so. surprised it's just you people can't look at it through your perspective yeah just a little bit well it makes you feel any better too with your voice you sound beautiful thank you that's very sweet you're welcome now well, as you know you're on america's got talent obviously <laughs> that's how i found you so what made you decide to go on there i had a conversation with a friend of mine named eric weinmeyer he's the first blind man to climb mount everest He's done the top summits, which means he's climbed the highest mountain on every continent, kayaked the Grand Canyon, written books. He's an insane, amazing person. And he asked me, why aren't you writing your own music? And I said, it's terrifying. I'm afraid. And he said, what's the worst that can happen? And so that kind of started this like idea that I really am the biggest barrier of my life. And that led me to writing a song called Try. And then when the opportunity for AGT came up, he asked me again, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? And I said, I don't know. And then it was followed by another question from a lot of friends of mine. And they said, what do you want to do with your life? I want to encourage people. I want to show a different side of what a disability looks like. I want to be an example of somebody who has failed miserably publicly and in front of everybody. And I had gotten back up off the floor, brushed my knees off and kept moving forward. That just because you fail at something or you don't do it perfect the first time doesn't mean that it's not worth it 
And so, you know, I kind of decided, well, what's the worst that could happen? Let's go for it. Yeah, the worst thing that happened is you could have, they could have been like, nope, bye-bye, basically. Yeah, but that still would have pushed me out of my comfort zone. I still would have grown as a person. I still would have learned, you know? And in the process, there might still have been one person sitting in that audience who was encouraged or felt empowered by what I did. And that makes it entirely worth it, even if I was completely embarrassed. So you were happy either way, basically. I was happy either like. way. Absolutely. I, I didn't do it to be on the show to win. I did it to encourage people. And if that's one person, fabulous. If it's a million people, why not? Exactly. A while back, I watched like the finals and I think Howie Mandel said it best. It's not the end for you. It's only the beginning. Yeah. Billy did say that. Your friend actually, Eric, uh, what's his name again? I apologize. Eric Weinmeyer. Eric Weinmeyer. Does he mean a lot to you or? He does. He's a really good friend of mine. You know, when he was in high school, he lost his vision. He has a very rare eye disease. But it's interesting to see kind of the world through his eyes and his experience. But we are the kind of friends that we push each other forward, you know, and we don't allow each other to give up when it gets hard. And I think that those people in your life are very special. They are. You, you got friends for a reason. I think the, the true friends who uh, motivate you to push you above your desires or your limits, they're worth keeping. So you got this, the Golden Brothers from Simon Cowell. Yeah. I want you to name five emotions you felt once he like hit that button and why. Shock. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what a golden buzzer was. I thought I won a car. I didn't win a car. Um, <laughs> But also, there was so much buildup of saying, like, don't worry, they're, they're, the reason why you're here is not to be, you know, winning, you know, you're, you're just trying to encourage people, that I was not expecting the positive feedback. I was kind of expecting to be, you know, booed off the stage, but, you know, like, oh, she tried. So shock, yeah. first and foremost. That song Second says it, she tried. Yeah, I did. I tried. The The second one was confusion because I was the first day of filming. And Ooh, right okay. before I walked on stage, they tested the red axis, which worked perfectly. And then they tested the golden buzzer and it was broken. So it didn't even work. And Simon Cowell stood up on like his chair and he was like, I don't care if that button doesn't work it's the first day of filming i'm not gonna hit it and i was just like whoa well this is real like i didn't mean to make him sound like a baby he wasn't but it was just like he was like really assured of himself and i was so i was super super confused that whole thing like turned all the way around then next emotion would be i was just elated i was just really i felt light i felt overwhelmed and light though so that would be three and four overwhelmed and light and then lastly really humbled because I knew if, even if you know that didn't go viral and people didn't really see it there there was a moment that was there where my talent and my hard work and my frustration and my stress was acknowledged but also this understanding that the only reason why I actually was standing on that stage was because of the people who encouraged me to be there. I, I think then, you're right. The people yeah. who encourage you and yourself. Yeah, but I mean, to say that, oh, I got this golden buzzer because it was supposed to be given to me and I earned it. I feel like as a team, we all earned it as a team. Like there was no reason why I would have gone if it hadn't been for the amazing people who believed in me far more than I believed in myself. I hear you. That makes a lot of sense. So speaking of Simon Cowell, what's he like in real life? Cause I've heard he's mean. I've heard he's nice. Yeah. He's both. I mean, he was really nice to me, like super sweet. He's had his little son who was there and he seems like he's such a caring father and just like really loving and his kid was so much like him. It was so cute. But on the other side, 
he doesn't do seemingly it doesn't do really well with people who are really arrogant and rude i think he enjoys taking them down a peg so he can he, i saw him make people cry um so i've seen a little bit of both so he's like in the middle i mean he has he has expectations basically yeah i think it depends on how he's feeling that day is he okay since I know he got a bad like bike injury? How's he doing with that? How I mean, I've been told that he's doing better, but it's gonna be a long recovery. Like uh, but hopefully it won't be as long as they think. Maybe he'll 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 bounce back. He's still young enough. What happens actually with your um syndrome? It's called Elo's Dan loss. Yeah, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS. It is hypermobility and hyperflexibility. So basically all of my joints and ligaments and my skin and my collagen, everything in it is extremely hypermobile. So it bends and flexes far past where they're supposed to. And then they just don't stop, which causes a lot of dislocation on my entire body. So everything pops in and out of place and uh, causes for a lot of interesting problems. Um, it sounds like it. So basically yeah, it's, it's flex tape fun. in your ear. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I can, I can pop my shoulder in and out of socket just by sneezing. It could be something as small as that, but also, you know, my organs sometimes can go on vacation and they start like moving around. And so like, I'll have like things like go into a place where they're not supposed to go or, you know, I've broken ribs by sleeping on my stomach, like just silly things that you wouldn't think would actually hurt you could be devastating in the right, in, in the right circumstance. So you, so you sneeze and it pops and do people think you broke your arm? I mean, like there have been many times where like, you know, like a person like trips and then they kind of tumble over and they just bounce right back up. I don't bounce up. Like I'm one of those people who falls and it's like, oh no, like, should we call the hospital? Like, yeah. Like, like I don't come back up and I don't move anymore. And they're like, oh no. It's a big deal. And so I've scared people around me. But, you know, for those small stuff, like popping my shoulder in and out of socket, like I just snap it back in. And they're, I think that's the part that makes them the most uncomfortable because they're like, whoa. And I'm just like, it's life. It's normal for me. It doesn't me bother point. me. That stuff, yeah, you know, it's, pop it back in and out. You like, yeah, yeah. Growth, it, it's your body. Yeah. I mean, and if it's like a serious dislocation and I can't do it by myself, then of course I go see somebody. Yeah, I get that. Now we're talking your child because you were probably a child, obviously. What is a time in your childhood that really stands out to you probably and why? I think moving to Colorado. I went, I lived in Florida for nine years or so. And then when I was going into fifth grade, we moved to Longmont, Colorado and it was just such a profound change of environment that it really is like vibrant in my mind. I remember every part of that move and being there and, and discovering another, another city, another place to grow up. It was hard and challenging, but also it, it was probably one of the best things that had happened to me as a kid. Ah, what do you mean by vibrate in your mind? That's really interesting in my eyes. Well, it's, it's I don't know, like everything is, you, you see stuff in like color, like, and it's like when I think about those moments, it's like I can't help but like see it almost in technicolor and I could feel what I was feeling and I can almost like feel the music that was playing in the background, like, it was a big thing in my life. Ah, I got you. It was just a big moment that made you think, like, I want to do yeah. that. Yeah, it was big. Now, who was that person, though, that helped you regardless of your singing? Like, who believed in you regardless of your singing? Family. My dad and my mom, they've always been huge people in my corner, which I understand can also be quite rare. You know, not everybody gets the support of their family. Sometimes you have to find uh, encouragement from outside but my my parents have always been really loving to me especially towards trying to help me succeed and 
my dad always said like, cause people ask him all the time. They're like, well, what did you do as a dad to help your daughter through the darkest time of her life when I was severely depressed and didn't know where to go? And he said, I was just there. And I tried to love my child till she found hope. And that's, that's what I did. That's what we need is just that one person, as you said, there. Yeah, just there. Like it was the nicest thing to have a person just come sit in silence, not try to hug me, not try to hold me, not try to like tell me that they completely understood everything that I was feeling or that it was all going to be roses and just perfect if I just like waited out, just sat there and allowed me to cry or allowed me to feel how I felt during that complete huge time of change and and just fear exactly i can't now i don't even like when people say i completely understand what you're going through like i don't even <laughs> like that well, well oh, i think that's the worst because here's the deal i here's the deal with me and you i can't understand being deaf i can't i'll be dead honestly right. but what i said with the bed story i can relate but i can't like fully understand yeah but even if even if you and i live the exact same life and we had the exact same problems and our brain worked the exact same way. You are you and I am myself. And just in that, we will never fully understand the other person because you are unique and your thoughts are unique and your experiences are unique. They are. Each, each one of us has a different pace of life, I guess is the way to put it. So do visual tuners like help you? And anyway, and what are they and how Absolutely. do they help you? So one of the ones that I use is a free application. It's called Pano. And uh, basically what it is, is it is the different notes that you can sing or play on a guitar. And you uh, use it to tune your instrument. You know, if I'm playing a G, then it tunes and I can solidify that it's a G, but I can see that it is that note. So the tuner for me allows me a chance to actually see what I'm singing and adjust so okay. that I can stay in pitch. So does that mean like, I'm just trying to think of how it works. So does it mean like when you play it, does it like go to like the uh, phone or does the phone like go to the music? No, no, no. Like the phone, the phone is listening to me. So I'm going to put this up. I know that the listeners on the podcast won't see it, but what I'm doing is it's, it's a tuner and I'm going to sing a note, which is a G. <laughs> I have perfect pitch. So it was funny because I was just talking about G. So it's a G and I could see that it's a G. You know what I mean? It shows it right there. And so if I am trying to find a note I can watch myself get to that note and then I can feel where that note is on my throat with the vibrations and then kind of remember how that feels to be able to sing that note again so it's also, a long process it sounds like it so you also take your shoes off I've seen you do that while you're playing does that yeah. how does that help you exactly it makes you vibe and make you hear the tempo it's for, yeah, it's for feeling the floor. So um, when I'm playing ukulele by myself or just singing by myself, you know, I'm, I'm keeping time with myself. So it's not as needed. But when I'm playing with other musicians, there is a, a time and a tempo that is established with the whole group. And I want to be able to keep the pace and not play off. And so I feel the beat through the floor with my feet. Oh, it's not tap dancing. It's basically just standing there dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm sucking in the dance, I guess. With my yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm absorbing the dance. Exactly. Absorbing the dance. <laughs> so you also are familiar, I think, with Jazz Times. What's your affiliation with that exactly? Jazz Times? Yes, ma'am. The magazine? Yes, ma'am. Oh, they're wonderful. Well, I was connected with them a long time ago. I did my first three albums were jazz. And so there was Smile, which was my first album, After You've Gone, which was my second, and All of Me, which was my third. And they were kind enough to review and post my first album in their magazine even. 
So what are the albums that you have um, actually um, posted? What are some of the albums so you can promote that a little bit? Yeah, well, so I have those three, the Smile, After You Gone and All of Me are my jazz albums. And then my most recent album, which came out in uh, last November, is Nice to Meet You. And that is an album of all original music outside of the very last song, which is a cover. But um, everything is, you know, written by myself and a couple of other people. And it's a beautiful album. I think people would love to listen to it. It sounds like a beautiful album. Now, when did you get into jazz music, actually? I was into jazz from since I was like a young child. And I wanted to become, before losing my hearing, my goal was to become a music professor and teach vocal jazz. Um, so my my love was deep. But now, you know, um, writing my own music, I found that the music that I write is not jazz. It's kind of a mix of a bunch of different things. And so the Nice to Meet You album is a a completely different vibe than jazz itself. Now, I noticed this too. You always do originals. Have you ever done a cover of a song? If you don't do covers, out of curiosity, how come? No, of course I do covers. Oh. I love them. Absolutely. Oh. Now, I don't typically covers? do like new, new, new stuff. You know, stuff that you hear on the radio right now, just because I have to learn it. I can't listen to the radio and just learn stuff. I have to get it in sheet music form and spend like 10 to 12 hours learning one song just visually and working with people so that I can imitate it correctly. But um, so I don't normally have all the time in the world to do that. But there are a crap ton of songs that I know that I play all the time. So I love music and I have an amazing memory uh, for music. So normally if I've listened and learned a song, I don't forget it. I can remember songs that I sang when I was four. Wow, that's impressive. It, and I yeah. get that because you have to learn it right away. It's not like a Thanos snap, honestly. No pun intended, Thanos. No pun intended with Thanos dying, killing people. <laughs> You also have won the VSA International Soloist Award. What is that exactly? And were you expecting to win it? No, I was not expecting to win it. It is a competition that they do that's connected with the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And it's an international competition where students, young adults who have some kind of a disability or a barrier, um, submits themselves and the music that they do to be judged in a competition and then the winners get to fly to DC and perform at the Kennedy Center. And um, when I did it, they also gave me a prize uh, trophy as well as a check for- Wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really cool situation, but being able to sing in the Kennedy Center before I lost my hearing was a dream, like a real dream. And to be able to have gone through this whole process of one you've lost your hearing you're never going to be a good musician again to discovering that that's a bunch of lies and the only limitation that I have is myself when it comes to my art form and then accepting myself but also understanding that my dreams will never necessarily ever be the same going to the Kennedy Center, I got to take back an old dream that I thought died. And it was an emotional experience. I, I mean, I have, I have performed there four more times. So I've been to the Kennedy Center five times now. So Dang, that must be your I second think, home. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they like me enough to keep me coming back. Now, let me now let me ask you this. Do you like the yeah. old dream better or the new dream? I like the new dream. Because I feel like in so many different ways, I am more myself. And, you know, I look back on Mandy, who could hear and constantly judging myself and being so afraid to talk to people and so afraid to stand up and have to give a presentation or sing in front of people. And I was just a ball of anxiety and stress. And then living through my biggest fear which was losing my hearing and coming out of it on the other side. Truly, why am I afraid of some of these things that it used to be so crippling? What's the worst that could happen? Or in a better eye, what's the best that could happen? What's the best that can happen 
by getting up and playing a song that I wrote? What's the best that can happen by pushing myself past my comfort zone? Do you think there's like a middle ground though at the same time? Like, is it like, this is the best, the worst, and then there's the middle ground. Do you think there's that or is it just best and worst? I think that you have varying degrees. I think that some days are just beautiful. Is it the most beautiful? Maybe it is in that moment, but there's going to be another beautiful moment that comes later that expands your horizon so that maybe it's even more than what you thought it was ever going to be. I think that my original dream was amazing. And I think that had I kept my hearing and had I been able to finish it, I would have been a kick butt jazz choral teacher. And I would have just been amazing at that job and I would have loved it. And I think that that would have been more than anything that I could have hoped for. But that's not the situation that I'm in now. So there's no point to me being upset about a life that I can't have. I can't go backwards in time. Yeah. I can only go forward. You can't, but maybe at the same time, have you ever thought that maybe losing your hearing was kind of considered a gift? I do. I mean, it's part of life. Everybody deals with different things. And sometimes, you know, I think if, if I can be so bold, your autism has shaped you in a way that makes you unique and that has given you a way for you to communicate with people. Like this platform, this podcast, you get to encourage and reach people who you never would have been able to reach had you not been autistic. Exactly. And you being deaf with music, that's a gift. I mean, you were in there either way, but with the gift part is losing your hearing in a way because you touch people who are deaf and you've been through many experiences that I can't go through. Yeah, we all we're all trying to do our part to make the world a little better. Now, you also actually uh, wrote a book called My Voice in a World Without Sound. How does that mirror your life exactly? So sensing the rhythm, finding my voice in a world without sound is a collection of stories that are things that happened to me during that transition of my life. And the goal of that book was to kind of show people how it felt and show people kind of the things that I was learning and dealing with and trying to grow from in hopes that if they're dealing with something that they can maybe have it be an encouragement to them that you can get through this. So, I mean, it is my life. It mirrors my life. It is my life. Okay. Now, is there a quote in there that that means a lot to you? And if so, that why does that quote mean a lot to you? I don't know. It's weird to quote myself. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, That's why I'm asking it. I know it's hard. I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a quote that I like screams at me at this moment, but there, there are very specific stories that are very loud. Can you tell us the one first, one? yeah, the first one it's, it's how the book starts and it, it means more now um, that my grandmother passed away, but she used to make these quilts and she made me this quilt that was using little pieces of fabric from all of the dresses and all of the clothes that she used to make me when I was a kid. And so this blanket that she gave me is a collection of stories. It's a collection of my past and my history. And so you never know what the end of the quilt is going to look like. It's just a collection of messy little bits and pieces. They were all scraps and I just think that it was just such a powerful thing to take trash, broken pieces, weave them together, and make something beautiful. That was actually, because I'm learning something in my CEO class about that, actually. Everything has value. Yeah. I really believe that, Maureen. I really do, too. So you're also an ambassador for No Barriers, I think, yeah. if I'm correct. Yes, sir. So why is being an ambassador for no, for no Barriers important to you? It's important to me because it is a collection of people with and without disabilities who are trying to overcome obstacles. And the core of the No Barriers life is what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. So our internal determination is what will help you succeed past 
the barriers that you face. The lovely thing about No Barriers is that it's always been about a community effort to accomplish those goals. So you have people like Kyle Maynard, who is an incredible human being, and he was born without arms or legs. And his dream, his goal was to climb a mountain with Eric. And so when he came to one of the summits, there was a mountain climb that was going to happen with Eric, and he wanted to go. And so they fashioned together with towels and duct tape, these like mock coverings i've been told you know he's called them nubs of where he just naturally doesn't have arms or legs to protect himself from the rocks and he crab walked up a tire mountain and like these are the people that you're surrounded by you're surrounded by people who are just people and they're not going to allow their difference to define them or limit them or put them in a box of possibilities that are capped off it's just an incredible organization. Yeah, we are. We're all one. We're not less. As Temple Grandin, I don't know if you heard of Temple Grandin before, but she's the mm. biggest autistic advocate. She said, we're different, not less. Right. That's a, definitely agree. I can, what you just said, basically explain that. Now with no barriers, how do you like challenge them, but also know their limits? I mean, that's to determine by every person. Every individual is is the one who sets their own limits. Because, you know, like, as a challenge, you know, like, we really just challenge each other by pushing our own limits. You know, when you're around people who are breaking barriers, it's infectious. And you want to also be encouraged to know that you can break your own as well. And so, you know, it's, you know, you're watching Kyle crab walk up a mountain while you're also watching this kid you know, who doesn't have legs and she's got these beautiful prosthetics and she's like six and she's like running full speed and her mom is just like gasping trying to catch up with her, you know, like there's all these different people with all their different stories and it just gives you the confidence and the internal understanding that I got to get out of my own way and I'm, I'm going to make this work. And when and if I fail, that's just going to be when and if I fail the first time, because I'm going to keep knocking at this wall until I break it down. You're going to do it. Yeah, it's how we feel. I think every person with disability has like the biggest, like for me, we all have, I think with disabilities have big determinations. Like we yeah. truly do like extra determination. Yeah. That's and I sense. think that that is one of the biggest gifts that you can have when you have a difference is that you not only are forced to see the world differently, but you have a personal drive to prove yourself kind of just as a basic need. It's an unfortunate reality that we struggle in to have to prove that we're not dumb or prove that we're capable or prove that we don't always need help and people babying us for everything, that we can do things independently and live fruitful, beautiful lives. It's frustrating that we have to prove that. But at the same time, proving that again and again and again has made us stronger. Yeah. And to me, it's fun in a funny way, if that makes any sense. That might yeah. be kind of weird. It's fun to prove people wrong when <laughs> you're trying to show them that we're doing it. Yeah, it's a good educational moment. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was trying to go. So you also, as we said, you have some connections with autism. So how is that a part of your life exactly? So a lot of the people in my family are um, on the spectrum. So I've got, and I don't want to call out family members because that's their story to tell and not mine, but yeah. there are many people in my family and uh, including my mom and she's very vocal about it um, so I know that she wouldn't mind. We're all a little different and we think differently and we're not socially always correct that's for sure. We're very socially awkward and anxious people but it's just kind of always been a part of my life and culture that so much so that when I got out into the real world, quote unquote, the real world, I was, I thought that everybody else was truly weird because they didn't think the way that we thought, or they didn't respond the ways that we responded because my entire family is kind of nestled in this group that the rest of the world 
the the normal people seemed really weird. Exactly. And my mom and my our opinions, we'll tell you right now, that we're normal. It's a made up word. <laughs> yeah. It's fake. It's weird. It's that's what I love. Weird, eccentric. I love those words. And so with autism, what are some of like, I don't want to say like problems because I would that'd be like going over the line, but no different differences or barriers difficulties that um you've had a that people have had to come with your family in autism yeah i mean especially you know you're talking about like covid right now and you're having online learning online learning is so difficult when you are a different learner and a different communicator and you know being on your own and not socializing with other people sounds kind of like a vacation, you know, where it's like, oh, finally, I don't have to think that through or, or stress about not responding correctly or, or whatnot. But it also is the only practice that I would we would have, you know, to be around other people and to challenge us to grow, you know, that that's missing. And the way that the teachers are teaching is not conducive to some of my nieces and nephews' abilities to process information. It's not healthy for them anymore. And it's putting a lot of strain on the parents trying to figure out the best ways to bridge those gaps. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah. I can relate to that. COVID-19, it is a pain, but well, I think we'll get through it eventually. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm ready for it to be a thing of the past, but unfortunately, I don't think that that's going to be the case quite yet. So you also apparently when you went through that like dark line, you were about a journal. Can you talk about that journal you wrote in that consisted of certain sounds? I thought it was kind of unique, but yeah, I more about it. I mean, my life was turning upside down. And so I was trying to kind of keep a some semblance of normalcy. And so I had a journal that I would write sounds out that I could still hear and kind of describe them as to help myself remember what they sounded like in case I forgot them in the future. And then on the other side of the notebook, I would put all of the things that I couldn't remember and couldn't hear anymore. And as kind of like this, like, oh, I should investigate and make sure I do some research so I could write down what that sounds like to try to force myself to remember. But as it kept going more and more and more, I found that the things that I could remember and the things that I could hear kept getting less and less and less and less and less. And then the other side of, I don't remember, don't remember, don't remember, kept getting so much bigger and to a point where there was no need to have both anymore. It was just gone. Yeah. You lost one side, but you gained another side. I did. I did. I got to rewrite it all. So, you know, like I, I get the benefit. I live in Florida and so people go to the beach and they listen to the waves. But, you know, like for me, I get to stand in front of the waves and they can sound like anything I want them to. Yeah, they can sound like a dog barking. They could be anything. So it really does allow, <laughs> but it could, it could be anything and it, it gives me a lot of freedom. It does. That It is. That is. I never thought that would death. It gives you a lot of freedom. So I also noticed that you do this a lot, and I, I was on JGT. You wave both hands in the air. Yeah, that's deaf applause. Oh, it's deaf applause. I was going to ask you what that means, so it's deaf applause. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, like if you clap without sound, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So, and, and as a deaf person, I can't really, I can see sort of that you're clapping, but it just kind of looks weird. And so doing deaf applause, oh, it's, a, it's a visual, oh. it's a visual clap. I get it. When you first, I thought you were like celebrating. Like, yeah, I'm just celebration. Like, really am happy with myself. <laughs> like getting like shooting the confetti out. Yeah, yeah. And I and I want to ask you this too. This is like about, this is the final question about death. So I mm-hmm. noticed this when you're interviewing others and I'm glad you have your captions on, obviously. But when yeah. you go up on like interviews, when you like live before this hit, obviously, you were talking to the person, but you have this interpreter, right? Yeah. How do you I have. How do you manage talking to this person who you like your initial conversation to, but also trying to like gather the information from the interpreter, like learn what they're saying? Well, I mean, it's the same as reading these captions, you know, like I'm looking at you, but I'm not looking at you always. Like I'm kind of looking past you at the captions when I'm 
with an interpreter, the interpreter is almost always positioned to your right. Well, your my left, your right. And uh, so that I can look at you, but I can actually see them directly behind you. So they're just kind of off behind so I can see what they're signing and then respond to you. The interesting thing about that situation that a lot of people get wrong, I guess, or try too hard with is that they expect to they like want to turn and talk to the interpreter to ask questions to me when the interpreter is just a, a conduit, a tool, you know, so talk to me, even if I'm looking past you, just look at me and talk to me because as soon as I'm not looking at the interpreter, I will look you in the eye. I will, I will turn myself back to you and I'm the one having the conversation. Yeah. You just need to gather the information basically. Yeah. So yeah. now these questions are just for fun. So my first one is what is like your favorite food and why is it your favorite? Oh my gosh, I love food. I love food so much. Oh no, favorite. I love salmon, salmon and scallops. I like seafood, seafood. a lot. I um, cook a lot of food, a lot. What do you like to cook? I like to cook it all. Yes, I like to cook it all. I'm very, very, very happy to cook. All right. I, that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to cook, but I'm not the best cook. I'm just disorganized when it happens. You'll get better. It's uh, so. the I more you so. do it, the be- the easier it gets. All right, that that helps. Thank you. So, what is your favorite movie or TV show, and why do you like it? Oh gosh, <sighs> these are tough. Favorite movie from when I was a kid was a movie called Without a Clue. It's like a Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson comedy. And I just thought it was really funny. I got you. What was my favorite when I was a kid? Favorite TV shows? I don't know. I I like a lot of the older stuff. Really enjoyed stuff like Frasier and MASH and even Gilligan's Island. Like the older stuff was always more fun. But current stuff... I really love Rick and Morty, which I know is an inappropriate show, but it's the truth. I love that show. Uh, uh, who cares, right? I watch inappropriate <laughs> stuff sometimes. I even watch like child stuff like Scooby-Doo or Tom and Jerry sometimes. Man, Bugs Bunny, when Bugs Bunny does the um, operas, that's like the best. Or what's that, Doc? Yeah, you know the guy who voiced uh, Bugs Bunny was actually allergic to carrots? No. And so at the they always did the like the crunching at the very end of the recording day, they would do a bunch of the the carrots because he would have to rinse his mouth out and spit them out because he was highly allergic to them. His whole mouth would swell up and neck would throw like oh, swell up. And I feel bad. No, that's hilarious. It like, is hilarious. Your, your but... main job, the thing that you're famous for, is a creature that can't eat the one thing you can't eat. Well, what if you swallowed it? That's the I worst know. Part. Like you'd have to go home. That's why they always did the carrot stuff at the end. So now, what's been your like favorite vacation that you've ever taken? France. France. Oh, Paris. France. Paris. Yeah. Or... Well, Nice, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. What was there exactly that you liked about it? Well, my my guy is from Nice and his family's there and it's a it's an a, it's absolutely gorgeous place, but you have such history and such culture and cobblestones and you have mountains that go directly to the sea. It's just beautiful. And to have beautiful. family there, it's amazing. It sounds beautiful. So, what are some of like your proudest accomplishments you ever made in your life before being deaf and deaf and after being deaf before being deaf before all my hearing i'll do all i'll just do all after losing my hearing and learning a song again and and trying to figure out how to sing i was pushed to sing at jay's bistro which is a jazz club in fort collins for like an open mic night there was a thursday And I have always been super awkward and super shy in front of people. When I was in high school, I used to actually like throw up when somebody would look at me too long. So I would just get really nervous. And I remember I I just was ballsy and I, I put my hand on the piano and I felt the beat and I sang my first note and the pianist confirmed it and I sang a song in front of an audience there was three people eating dinner and not paying any attention but to me it was the most 
outside of my comfort zone I had ever dared to go. And it was my proudest moment, even today, as a performer, because that was the day that really started it all. That's good. I'm glad you did that. I'm really yeah, glad. Too. It was terrifying, but I survived it. And then I did it again and again and again until it became less terrifying. It, was that the thing that you said I got your fear over uh, public speaking? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like losing my hearing and then like my biggest fear was losing my hearing. So once that happened, I was just like, well, this isn't as scary as it could be. You know, I thought losing my hearing was going to kill me and I'm just fine. I'm just different. I'm just fine though. Yeah. So what is this going to do? Yeah. You're not like, okay, I, but in a different way. But like, if I sing a song and somebody doesn't like it, like what's the worst that can happen? They're not going to explode, you know, just because I sing a note wrong. They're not going to like just burst into flame. You know, there's really nothing that's going to happen other than somebody might not like it. Who cares? Who, who exactly? Who cares? You did it. I did it. I'm expressing myself. So my final question is, are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about? If so, I want a good one and a funny one. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I have a lot of experiences that I've done. A good experience was I went to Nepal for two weeks with a group of differently abled high school students. And in Nepal, if you're born with a disability or a difference, you're cursed. So it's a culture problem. And so we went this ragtag group of cursed kids and, and a few leaders and we got to be a positive impact for two weeks. Um, everywhere that we went, they were skeptical that we were able to succeed in what we were trying to do. And we were constantly proving them wrong. And it was just this amazing experience that I will remember for the rest of my life, including one of the hardest experiences that I've had so far, which was after it was like two and a half days of riding horseback through the Mustang and, you know, the Himalayan mountains are hard enough, but sitting on the back of a horse for two and a half days, I don't know how cowboys do it. Like an hour, good. Two hours, fine. Six hours, you start to like really be in serious pain. Oh, um, two, two and a half days, you don't even know who you are anymore. So kudos to the cowboys out there because they must have strong thighs they they must be completely numb from the hip down <laughs> they must be <laughs> must be well that'll be all for us today do you have anything else you'd like to say thank of you course. for letting me be here and, and thank you for for being such an encouragement to to people who are just unique it's really special what you're doing and i'm very i'm very proud of you nice to meet you is it all in my head? I'm second guessing, but I'm trying before it all disappears. Thanks for joining for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming very soon. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much.